Hello, everybody. This is Pasha Marlowe. Welcome back to the Neuroqueering Podcast. And I am here with one of my favorite people on the planet and the person who introduced me to the term neuroqueer. So Dylan, this is all your fault. And I love you for it. Dylan Alter is a Chuck Tao and Jewish non-binary neurodivergent ADHD coach. They have led panels, discussion groups, and restorative justice circles for more than 20 years, often on topics related to queer identity and always for the purpose of creating greater mutual understanding and empathy. I have loved and adored Dylan since the day I saw them in a webinar and have never let them like not answer my calls since because I just think Dylan is an extraordinary human being. And I'm so honored that you're here. Thank you, Pasha. Thank you, Pasha. The feeling is entirely mutual. I remember uh, similarly thinking that you were just the bee's knees after you came to uh, one of our webinar sessions uh, at Queer ADHD. And I listened to a podcast that you did talking about, um, you know, play and improv uh, as part of ADHD support. And I was like, this, this is amazing. I remember just like, you know, pacing because of course I can't listen to a podcast without pacing. Um, and just, you know, like, like fist, fist cheering the air. Like, yes, this is amazing. Yes. We need humor and play in our ADHD support. Yes. It's one of my, the favorite aspects of neuroqueering is that it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's serious. It's important. It's purposeful work. And it's also playful and pleasurable work. And if it isn't, then we're not uh, engaged or potentially even in high vibration enough to do the work, right? Because it's so, I, I, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, you know, every, almost every ADHD that I talk to, you know, myself included, you know, we've got these histories of just trying harder. We try so hard at all <laughs> the things all the time. And we think if we're just, meaner to ourselves or more disciplined, uh, suddenly it'll work. Suddenly we'll keep that planner for more than a month. Um, right. and if, if it would, if it worked like that, it would have worked by now. <laughs> we, we've tried hard enough. Yes. Right, right. And, and so <laughs> often, you know, we, we find greater success by, by following the path of, of less resistance and sort of getting out of the way in the right direction. You know, identifying like what we're moving towards naturally and meeting those needs. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, since you said neuroqueering, it's like all these synapses start firing up in my brain. I resonated with queer ADHD, which is how I ended up at that uh, webinar. And it was right. I mean, just months after I came out even, and I was terrified to go to, a, I just didn't even think I looked or presented queer enough to go to the webinar and you held such beautiful safe space for me to, I think you pretty much said, you know, you were, you were queer enough. You were all queer enough. You were all ADHD enough. Everyone is welcome. Uh, And it calmed my nerves right away. And then later when you expanded to uh, your neuroqueer.org, do I have that right? Uh, I saw the word and then I read about it. And then it just something clicked in me that this is, this is not only important to me as an identity uh, for me, 
as I identify as neuroqueer now, and I just feel like I'm neuroqueering all day long about every neuroqueering education, neuroqueering parenting, I'm neuroqueering all conversations about everything. And, and it feels expansive. And I've been missing that because frankly, ADHD coaching in and of itself was feeling anything from boring to stagnant to restrictive in and of itself. So I love the expansiveness of it. And I so appreciate you introducing me to the word neuroqueer and Nick Walker's work uh, with neuroqueer uh, heresies, uh, her book and, and your work. I, I you. just, I'm so appreciative. So yes, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, it, it, it's such an exciting time right now in mm -hmm. the field. Um, you know, the field of, you know, neurodivergent support, um, mm -hmm. the field of, you know, neuroscience generally right now is sort of realizing that the way we thought the brain worked is maybe not the way the brain works. Right. Um, you know, and, you know, wonderfully queer theory has, has laid this incredible groundwork, um, you know, learning from, you know, critical race theory and, and you know, feminist theory. Um, of how to carve out space for ourselves, how to how to mm. unpack these systems of of oppression and these these power dynamics, and these ideas of what we're supposed to be mm -hmm. that that end up restricting us and and not making space for who we actually are, um, yes. and how to put that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and. And prior to recording, we were saying how this is a a and cultural uh, and a cultural issue, and that we're um, we're really trying to navigate who we are in ourselves and in our institutions and in our culture at large. It's it's a really fascinating time. You're right, and there's still so much change every day within the field of neurodiversity, uh, and controversy in how we treat it or pathologize it or speak about it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it feels very new. And I just want to say out loud again to uh, the audience, the listeners that I, I'm not fully understanding the idea of neuroqueer and neuroqueering, and I might never <laughs> fully understand it. And I was terrified to start this podcast until I fully understood it. And yet part of neuroqueering is being curious and being creative and delving into conversations with people like Dylan and just like kind of trading ideas and sharing concepts and then working off each other's energy in a, in a serious way, but also playful way. And then just thinking outside the box and, and questioning kind of everything. Right. And so, that, so it's messy. And so it will be messy. <laughs> love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and I'm so um, grateful for your willingness to, to, to be vulnerable in that way. And the bravery that you have for doing this, because that, that, um, you know, perfectionist culture, I mean, yeah. number one, a lot of ADHD years, we struggle with perfectionism because it's a way of making us feel like we have control uh, in a, in a really chaotic existence. Um, but, it, but it's so restrictive and, and, you know, this perfectionist culture basically tells us that we can't participate. We can't engage. We can't explore 
for fear that we won't do it right. And it doesn't give us much of a learning curve. You know, and so I, I want to invite folks who might be listening, what would it be like? What would it do for you if you could put down the anxiety that making a mistake was a bad thing mm-hmm. or would be judged? If you Love could that. trust that that neurodivergent compassion mm-hmm. that you have cultivated of mm-hmm. watching other people and trying to figure out how they do the things they do and why they do the things they do. And you could trust that if you made a mistake that did harm, that you cared and that you would be able to show up to repair. And that then your mistakes could be opportunities to learn and do better, that you could really hold on to your mistakes, that you could treasure them and use them rather than be afraid of ever making them. Because I think that that's not only a, a gift that we have in, in neurodivergent community, but also an, an opportunity that we have to create neurodivergent culture, which is something we've never done before because yeah. up until the last few years before the pandemic, there wasn't really as much connection between you know, neurodivergent folks mm-hmm. in the way that there are. Now there's communities popping up all over the place and we mm-hmm. really sort of have for the first time, a really expansive sort of, you know, modern neurodivergent anthropology that we're seeing. Um, And I don't know how that happens without making mistakes, but I'm excited. (laughs) Yes. I'm excited about it too. And when I, when you were talking, I was thinking about how we all came to this place. And for a lot of us that was throughout the pandemic, perhaps listening to more podcasts or reading more articles or watching more videos and then seeing ourselves in them, but not really understanding the, uh, the language or the implications. And, and then we started to put it all together and there's so much, uh, about self-diagnoses and getting diagnosed and that process and how it's, uh, I mean, it's expensive. It's, it's prohibitive. It's, uh, it's hard to, some people are waiting years to get diagnosed. What is your, feeling about access to diagnoses and self-diagnoses? Yeah. Um, diagnosis is, is currently in, in the United States is, uh, it, it's, it, it's got that sort of like dark Shakespearean like <laughs> irony of how much executive function it takes to get diagnosed yes. with executive function disorder. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, it's wildly inaccessible to most folks. Yes. And, uh, you know, I I saw a meme about about ADHD in the pandemic the other day. It was like, I always thought that if I had enough time to do everything that I'd be able to catch up on everything. Well, pandemic happened and it turns out it wasn't that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So many of us got diagnosed, you know, during the pandemic. just having that opportunity to reflect and notice the patterns that were there, even when the rest of of daily life stopped. Um, And so with that, I think we've, we've seen a massive influx in the number of cisgender women who realize that they have ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, Previously, you know, the the primary population for ADHD was, um, you know, white Western cisgender male children, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't even think that adult ADHD was really a thing for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my personal theory on that, which I've, I've mentioned elsewhere is, is that, you know, male children grew up and got girlfriends and secretaries and wives who had been socialized to 
take care of their executive function. And so the symptoms of ADHD for those cisgender white Western men went away. Mm-hmm. And we thought that adult ADHD wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Now we, we know now. that now we know, right, that cisgender girl children present as inattentive. And interestingly, uh, most adults who present as impulsive as children then become inattentive as they get older. As, as we grow up, we internalize that impulsivity. From the mass. And what, what neuroqueer theory makes me wonder there is, is that masking? Is at least some of inattentive ADHD mm-hmm. a process of internalizing, a process of masking, responding mm-hmm. to that cultural pressure? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and is there, is there, you know, genuine, unique, inattentive ADHD? I think that there probably is. There's, there's descriptions of that behavior uh, in other cultures. Uh, in, in Brazil, there's a term called um, nefetelebata, I think. I, my okay. Portuguese is atrocious. Um, <laughs> but it means the, the person who's just sort of like off in their own head and daydreaming and wandering around the clouds. Yeah. And it's a non-gendered term. Huh. Um, but the, the, you know, with, with the awareness that, you know, ADHD is an issue for cisgender women, now we're getting into the phase where, you know, ADHD is being presented as very gendered. We're sort of in the men are from Mm -hmm. Mars, women are from Venus Mm -hmm. of ADHD. Mm -hmm. That's Um, interesting. You know, and the idea that there's like a left hemisphere of the brain and a right hemisphere of the brain and one does art and one does math. That's not how... These sort of these false dichotomies. Yes. You know, and, and with divergence, which queer theory is a, is a theory of diverging from the norm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, first we go from a single, then we go to a binary, and then we go to beyond the binary. Um, and I think that's sort of where we might be going with ADHD and, and neurodivergence generally. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> neurofluidity is a term I've heard recently. Uh, oh, I hadn't heard that. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a you know a spectrum, just like you had mentioned the the Kinsey Kins Kinsey scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, is, nobody's <laughs> probably all all straight. Uh. And likewise, there's no one normal right brain. Uh. And so in this neurofluidity the idea that you know we're all somewhere along this beautiful spectrum yeah and and that brings up a a really interesting you know aspect of you know that that there's a there's a link between you know queerness and neurodivergence in Mm -hmm. in this you know fluidity that you brought up Mm -hmm. in that you know dr nick walker talks about the you know neuroplasticity and the ways that you know there's no such thing as a as a typical brain Right. If anybody had a normal brain, it would be the weird one in the bunch. Um, <laughs> and that all of us, all of our brains, our nervous systems are constantly responding to our experiences um, and shifting a little bit, you know, throughout our lives. It changes. That's normal. It has to. And, you know, so much of the arguments that I see in, um, you know, around, uh, you know, trans youth, Mm-hmm. Are well. What if it? What if they made a mistake? What if they're? What if they're not really trans? Right. They can change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is? What is so terrifying about 
having to make a change. Yes. Yes. And when you bring up the trans community, it reminds me of, of a term that shows up on that's dysphoria. And I bring it up because it shows up in gender dysphoria. And it also, I hear it with things like rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is a popular mm-hmm. um, term in the ADHD community as a symptom of ADHD, but it still feels very pathologizing to me, even though dysphoria means unbearable, not not disordered. It feels like that because of the way gender dysphoria has been pathologized. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I wonder about that one. I, I grapple with that one. I mean, the, the rejection sensitive dysphoria, you know, I really wonder if that is its own, you know, sort of unique sort of baked in neurological thing, you know, we're, we're definitely, you know, noticing the way that emotional regulation is different um, for ADHDers, the ways that, you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex just sort of uh, takes the, the emotion coming from the limbic system, um, you know, up through the dopamine pathways and just sort of lets the whole emotion, we feel all the feelings, not just what's appropriate for the moment. Yes. But when you add on, you know, trauma theory, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, which the queer community has just, you know, dove, dove into. Yes. You know, we're elbows deep in trauma theory. We are like, ah, this explains so much. Yes. And you look at the experience of growing up neurodivergent and not knowing it, you know, how often one of the first signs is peer rejection, you know, as, yes. as, a, as a child and how, how many more, you know, negative messages we get as children. Yes. And how isolating it is and how that, you know, often leads to suicide or self-harm or, you know, isolation, all of these, you know, really painful experiences. Yes. And I have to wonder, like, does that RSD seem out of context or does that seem like a reasonable response? I, I am with you on this. Uh, It's not a popular opinion, (laughs) Um, but yes. It there the part of uh, RSD for listeners uh, rejection sensitive or sensitivity dysphoria depending on who you're talking to is that there's real uh, an emotional or emotional or physical reaction to real or perceived rejection and there's this emphasis on the perceived like oh we're just perceiving it because you know we have a lot of this internalized uh well shame and of course we do because it's actual rejection because the perceived rejection is based on actual rejection based in trauma that we've it's like to me I can't I can't separate the two yeah right exactly I mean you know there 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 are a lot of you know social psychology studies on how painful it is to feel excluded from your community excluded from your group excluded from your family Um, biologically in a herd of animals you die if you're excluded or rejected right right and you know I'm dead Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a really severe trauma. And I'm, I'm not saying in that, that, you know, we've been given the tools to learn how to manage our emotions. Mm-hmm. Even, even today, most, you know, um, neurodivergent support in terms of emotional regulation, the regulation often translates to numb it out or yes. just control it. Right. More drugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Or, or, you know, uh, mindfulness in a way where, where we're just, you know, compartmentalizing it and boxing it away. 
for fear of, you know, scaring or, or upsetting or inconveniencing mm-hmm. other people who, who don't per- experience emotions the way we do. Yes. Yes. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to explore how to, you know, engage in our emotional experiences in ways that feel authentic uh, and, and also don't cause harm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, but there, there hasn't, I haven't seen a lot of exploration of that yet. Yeah. And, and that again, just reminds me of the uh, Audre Lorde work on the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house. So I think about uh, in our, in what you're saying in, in our, in our embodiment of our neurodivergence, in our, in our stimming, in our being out loud with our neurodivergence in a way that society is not used to seeing, but it is of no harm uh, to ourselves or others. It makes potentially people uncomfortable. And I feel like that's part of the path to dismantling it and yeah. And becoming more free of it so that we, and if, and if more of us unmask and fully embody when we feel safe to do so, um, I hope that opens up the opportunity for, for more, uh, authenticity and freedom and fluidity and voices to be heard. Uh, yeah, my, absolutely. My, it's my dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's certainly a time and a place for masking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like masking is, is something that, you know, keeps us safe. It's right. something that, that, um, you know, can, can get us ask, uh, access to jobs. Yep. Um, masking is, is a tool and it's not always a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. definitely something that, that, um, you know, any, anybody who's, who's a member of, of an oppressed group likely is, is very, very, um, you know, aware of, you know, that process of, of masking of sort of, you know, uh, intercultural diplomacy, mm. um, you know, and, and also I think that, you know, neuro, neurodivergence is something that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think I sent you one, when I went down that rabbit hole of like trying to find the first description of neurodivergence. I loved you for this. You're finding the Latin root for words and it's like, where are you going with this? But then it, you kept going and going and going. And, uh, and ever since you did that, I, I, st- I find myself Oh, you could go way back into like all the roots and all the, oh, it was fascinating. And I was like, there's, there's, I love your brain. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, sometimes it's a bit much for even me, but yeah, I was just digging. I was, you know, hours going down that rabbit hole and I was so delighted I could share it with you. Yes. Like I I want like a neurodivergent specific term for the joy of getting to share something you found down a rabbit hole with somebody else with that excitement different than euphoria is that not enough it's sort of euphoria it's somebody um i saw on a tiktok there's this term called penguin pebbling of like (laughs) like, a neurodivergent person and i found this thing and i thought you would like it so i'm gonna hand you this pebble (laughs) which is apparently something that penguins do Um, that's adorable you know but i found this definition that goes back to you know 300 um bc uh greece from from um, uh, you know, the protege of Aristotle describing this person 
who's called um, the direct translation was the the um, anesthetized man, the the man who feels differently. Yes, but it was translated by somebody in France to be the obtuse man, like the stupid mm. man. But it it doesn't read like that at all. And the descriptions are so very classically ADHD. Yes, I strongly encourage anybody to read it. But now I'm wondering, like, where in like other cultures mythology do we have models of neurodivergence um that was accepted you know like I wonder how many you know uh Native American tribes myths around coyote um are an expression of neurodivergence this sort of like very very present very random ideas and creative ideas about I'm going to do this or this other thing over here and I'm going to make mistakes and mess things up but in a good-hearted way mostly Mm. um sort of character am I projecting is that a symbol of neurodivergence I'm not sure but I think Mm. it's a really interesting line of inquiry yes I'm thinking about artists uh like Michelangelo or uh or think uh minds like Einstein and how in different cultures it was revered. I'm thinking about like witches and, and their intuition and perceptiveness and uh, used to be a 14th century slang for, for queer, Um, Mm. you know, this, this, you know, person who lived out in the woods and knew all of these strange, you know, habits and, and um, had these strange habits and hobbies and knew a lot about a lot of different things. And um, like, Oh, maybe neuroqueer. And, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, widely acknowledged as queer, had mm-hmm. so many projects, never finished one, Never <laughs> um, was still brilliant. So neuroqueer. Backwards. Um, I mean, I think, I think the argument could be made. It's for sure. <laughs> this would be a fascinating study and, and something that you should do in your spare time. Right, right. My next rabbit hole. Please, rabbit hole for us. Before you go, I have a favor to ask. Please subscribe to this podcast. That way you won't miss an episode and it'll help me bring it to folks who need it most. Fellow ADHD minds out there, I know you're going to forget. I would too. So let's push that button now and subscribe. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bonus points if you spread the word of the NeuroQueering podcast by sharing it or reviewing it. Thank you. Also, if you want to see more of me, please follow me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at NeuroQueerCoach. Sign up for coaching at PashaMarlow.com or to guest on my show or leave feedback, email at Pasha at NeuroQueering.com. Thanks all. Happy NeuroQueering. Enjoy your day.